Hello, friends. It is Kirk Henderson of Mavs Moneyball. I'm joined on Mavs Moneyball After Dark tonight by one of our newest contributors, Matthew Phillips. Matt, how are you tonight? I'm wonderful. Excited about the Mavs success. This has been it's been fun. So we're recording just for for full disclosure. I'm not going to post this. It's Wednesday night. I'm not going to post this till like Thursday afternoon. But I, I wanted to kind of talk about the Mavericks while I was still in like sort of a borderline state of delirium. And then but before I start to overanalyze all the stuff that's coming up next. So, you know, just with let's see here, we've had about, I don't know, like 20 ish hours to process all of this. So what are so so what are you know your kind of more evolved thoughts since we've gotten um since we've gotten away from the game and not quite so uh into the middle of the hype? Uh the first thing for me is that the Clippers answers to would terrify me if I was a Clippers fan because they're very similar to a lot of the things the Mavs say during the regular season that drive me nuts where they have essentially been like, well, you know, We'll see if they keep making shots. It's not really anything we're doing wrong. It's just bad luck. You know, they're making threes. Uh, what can you do? Just kind of throwing their hands up. And if their plan is really just, yeah, we're going to keep leaving people wide open and hope they miss, that that's not a great plan. No, there's there's some real – it's it's the, the post-game quotes, and, and we'll probably get some more during media day on Thursday. So by the time you're hearing this for, like, your drive home Thursday afternoon, you'll you'll have heard some more things probably from Ty Lue or from Rick Carlisle or Paul George or Kawhi. But hearing them on, on last night, it's – Paul George just has a knack for saying the wrong thing. Um, and I am – you know, I, I, I can relate to that. But it was – it's very confusing to hear where they're coming from because – they're, they don't seem to have a plan to stop Luca, and as as this game goes along, it, it's like they're they're getting more and more exposed. Because when when Marcus Morris had picked up his sixth foul last night, they didn't know what to do, and that you know, I, I suppose they should probably be be you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they should really be pushing over screens more. That's kind of the thing that stands out the most to me is that they don't really fight over any, you know, I guess Beverly does a little bit, but Beverly's too small and I mean that literally not in the sense of like Luca, you know, taunting him, but the the rest of their 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 wings just weren't very good at getting over Luca's screens. He picked out his mismatches left and right and they just seemed fine with that. And so I I do kind of understand the argument of all right, the, the hot shooting is unlikely to continue. I mean, we said that after game one and then it continued. But let's just go with that theory, I think, and kind of like talk it out. And if the if the the hot shooting doesn't continue, but Luca can is still able to sort of, you know, slice and dice if the pace goes down some, if the Mavericks hit a few more free throws, you know, there's no reason that they shouldn't be in every game that they play with the Clippers from now on, right? Yeah, so the thing with the hot shooting is, and this has been pointed out ad nauseum, like it's not just – it's not like we're hitting contested jumpers. This is like the two games where we got blown out by the Jazz, and mm. we just kept saying, well, you know, they're hitting jumpers. They're hitting jumpers. They're, other than Luka, Luka is taking some contested jumpers, and he has hit some ridiculous shots, like the one-legged fadeaway for the two-for-one that is one of the most insane shots I've ever seen. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that being said, everyone else, is getting wide open practice gym jumpers. And I mean, it's still impressive to hit them given the stakes, but everyone is hitting them. And as far as them switching, 
I don't think that the main wings that you would think of as quote-unquote Lucas stoppers, I don't think they want any part of that matchup. Beverly does, but that's because he's delusional and thinks he's better than he is. And he's the only one they should be switching off of him. They should be in a panic trying to get out of that matchup, and he's the only one that tries to fight through it. Mm-hmm. it one of the things that I heard on multiple podcasts today, which I was glad to hear it, but I was also surprised to hear it, was you know national commentators talking about how both Paul George and Kawhi are sort of living off of past defensive reputations. Now, Kawhi, the fact that he has those huge hands and is so strong – is going to be a good defender every time he steps out on the floor. Paul George, you know, is is actually quite is an impressive defender, but I just don't think he wants anything to do with Luca because Luca's eaten his lunch for two years now. Um, and and that you know, shoot, our guy Panda Hank has an entire like two and a half minute video of Luca dropping Paul George. Um, and and so I just I don't really know what the the answer could be. I sort of think they they should probably try to start Rondo and Batum. Uh, if and play sort of a smaller ish lineup and it, like because Batum did okay and Rondo at least fights and isn't you know he's a little bit of gamesmanship going on but I just don't really see you know what they can do to deal with Luca specifically so I, I'm I'm curious just to to kind of hear your thoughts on this because even though like the Mavericks shot so well last night, I still feel like there were plenty of shots that just didn't go down. Like, like Dorian Finney Smith shot the ball pretty poorly. I don't think Jalen Brunson has really brought his shooting a game to things yet. He's not really taking a lot of outside jumpers, but you know, he's like quite a good shooter when he, when he decides he's going to be, it just feels like there's a lot of positive markers that could still swing the Mavericks direction. Oh, absolutely. And with one thing that I also found interesting is their point guards. So if you go Beverly, Rondo, and Reggie Jackson combined for 72 minutes in game two, and their centers Ibaka and and Zubac combined for 28, and this mm. is not big enough when they're switching when they're when they're allocating their minutes that way. No matter what what Luca does, no matter what what you do with them, he is going to create an advantage somewhere. Mm-hmm. And because he's going to create an advantage somewhere, it is important to have help behind. And when they don't play Zubac and, and or Ibaka, and I don't think Ibaka is help, healthy just for no, reference. No, me either. They, uh, he has not played in a Clippers win since March 11th. Um, and, and it's just when they don't – once we have those advantages and they don't have help behind, the advantages are just fatal. They just – we score. And, I mean, they can complain about the, you know, well, they do this or they do that, and it's going to stop. But we're getting to the rim at will, too. And you can't – you have to take away something. And they, thus far, haven't really taken away anything because they haven't taken away Luka and they haven't taken away the other guys. Well, I did think they did a better job yesterday because they, tur- they forced Luka into seven turnovers, and a few were just, like, Luka very much wanting to make that corner pass. And – I remember at least two where I'm not sure how he didn't see the defender standing in the line of sight. I guess he thought he had manipulated them with his eyes enough, but I, I just, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what their next assessment is with him because, you know, it felt like there were, if Luca had just made a couple of different decisions, you know, free throws aside, kind of a different point, but had he taken a couple of more, you know, of the, like the 10 foot, you know, floater slash like kind of layup things when he's all the way in the lane, he could have had 50 points yesterday. So yeah, I, I was I, actually, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I was surprised he didn't. 
so it's it's been kind of floating around some of the stuff I talk about with people. But uh, Iztok actually made a point to me that people talk about defending Luca one on one. The only people who get a chance to defend Luca one on one are people that he wants to defend him one on one that he thinks he can cook. Because if you're a like-sized defender who is a really good wing defender and he doesn't think he can beat you, then you're at the absolute best playing two-on-two and pick-and-roll where he starts with an advantage. There's, I mean, it may seem undemocratic or something like that if people want to be – but he doesn't, he doesn't allow people who have any kind of a prayer of guarding him one-on-one to do so. It's it was this guy uh, who 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 uh, writes and does you know talking at the ringer, um, Wozni Lambre said today that Luca's gotten really good at the LeBron bum hunting situation, and I've just mm-hmm. been thinking about it all day because that's that's really it's really you know kind of dark but very funny and accurate assessment of what Luca was doing, and the I think the thing that was most surprising though is that the Clippers just sort of allowed it. And that's what I wonder if, if is there anything they can do differently there? Uh, on, on to continue with that Luca thing, and then I'll, I'll mention that. What Luca has become is ruthless, which we think of him <laughs> as a, we think of him as a happy go lucky kid, and we see the smile and how much fun he is and everything like that. But what he has become is absolutely ruthless in that he will pick out the same mismatch and he will play you until you take that person off of the floor. And yesterday we saw it because it would have it would have been really, really simple for the Mavs to come out, be very happy that they won game one, especially once Kawhi came out. And Kawhi was in an absolute we are not losing this game mode. And I think Bill Simmons mentioned this in his podcast, yep. but he was like and he said, uh, Luca was also in, you know what, we're not losing either. And he outwardly we're not losing this game to Kawhi. And yeah. so on the, he's absolutely he is just he's become ruthless. Like I really do think that is the answer to it. As far as what they can do, I, I said it a bunch before the series. I did not think that they were going to present Luca problems at all because schematically they have done what they have done all season. They drop coverage the bigs. If it's Zubach to pick and roll, they try to drop coverage it. And if it is anyone else, they switch everything. And you cannot play one scheme for 72 games and then all of a sudden just come out and be like, you know what, now we're going to fight through every scheme. We're going to ice. We're going to do this or that. And even if they do – the screen, while our screeners are not great at setting screens, they're at least enough of a pylon to give Luke an advantage, and that puts him in the hostage dribble scenario, and he is as good or better at that than anyone has ever been. Yeah, and so th- that's really fun to watch. Is, yeah, oh, it's, it's one of my favorite things to watch, but the only thing they can really do is they can hard trap, but if they hard trap, like I said a couple times before, that takes the game out of their hands. It is so It becomes solely do the Mavs execute, which Dorian – has become really, really good at flashing to the middle of the floor and facilitating in a development that I did not see coming at all. We talk about his development as a shooter, but even on the Tim Hardaway Jr. three that basically Mm -hmm. ended the game, that that was a great job by him of coming to the ball like you learn in fifth grade and that we sometimes fail to do, and then (laughs) making a very simple pass out to Tim Hardaway Jr., who had a wide-open look. Yeah. I mean, really wide open. I mean, I felt like that shot was going down before he caught the ball. So you, you just mentioned something there about the getting the ball out of Luca's hands. Do you think that that's something that they try? And then if you do, I, I, one thing I would like to kind of pivot to talking about is for as hard as both you and I are on Chris Stapp's Porzingis, I thought how he played on offense last night was different than how he has played at any point all year. 
I thought he was moving really interesting. He was, you know, kind of, it, it was like freelancing, but free, freelancing in a way that was very productive. Like the back cuts. I mean, he had three or four last night. I just don't remember that from the regular season. Is what you know? You you watch these games a little more closely than I do. Is is that something that that you think is is new? Like what? Talk to me a little bit about that in in, in reference to you know at least getting the ball out of like Lucas' hands and what what that you know puts the Mavericks in in situations like that. I actually do think that's a big deal. Is KP is a big part of that, and he was. I was really happy with him. I've heard some people still complain about stuff. The cutting is great when he does it because he is a giant human. He yeah. is, and so like he had at least two that I can think of where he cut to the front of the rim, one to the side where he came from the dunker spot, and then one from to absolutely in front of the rim, and got basically uncontested dunks. An underrated aspect of him as being an outlet for once Luca gets hard doubled like that is because of how big he is. It gives him a much larger catch radius if we want to use like a, a wide, uh, NFL wide receiver turn because he has those gigantic arms and he's 7'3", it makes it much easier for Luka to get to him and while I don't want him dribbling against Kawhi, he's also not your typical NBA center that if he has to put the ball on the floor once or twice, once, yeah, the end of the world. Um, so I do think, and that was I mean, what I think happened last night for KP, and I hope that I'm correct about this is I think last night is really when KP realized there is no 1A and 1B. It's not, this is Luca's team. I am a role player. I am going to go play my role. Because KP looked thrilled. You and think? That was I was his, having a hard time yeah. figuring out. Oh, he looked absolutely thrilled. Like, if you watched him towards the end of the game, and I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get too far into trying to body language read and everything. Yeah, but he's he really easy at- to read. Like, yeah, he looked absolutely thrilled. He was smiling. He was cutting up. He was thrilled. You can see him talk a little smack after his dunk. Like, he was going – He, I think he has finally come around to the fact that it's not, you know, Luca and the unicorn, the unicorn and Luca just right there even with each other. I think it. Is, he knows now that it is Luca, and then I am one of the other guys who has to do the best I can to make the job easier for Luca. And he did a great job last night. I mean, he, he got did. two really good bounces, but mm-hmm. in all, he's I believe eight for twelve for twenty points and three or four on three, yeah. and he had three steals and two blocks. I, yes. I mean, I the the defense. I was talking to to Dave DeFore of the Athletic today, and he just I, I made kind of a complaint about KP's defense, and he just responded to me. He's like, nobody's playing any defense. What like what are you talking about? Neither team is playing. So at a certain point, you got to get your best offense out there, and and that you know that resonates with me because that's kind of what I've wanted the Mavs to do for a while now, and I'm really glad that they've leaned into it. But I, I just I think this is sort of interesting because with the Clippers, um, the Clippers might be the worst playoff matchup for KP and if they can find a use and function with KP in a situation where he you know he's not going to post up he's not getting the kind of things that he likes but if if he's able to kind of find that blend like he did um last night and really he did have some opportunities in game one he just didn't really convert them um and and if he, he's in put in the position to succeed like he was last night I really think it does it does a lot for his confidence and it's just, you know, the confident KP is is really, he's just a much more interesting, much more active player. He sees, I really wish it wasn't this way with him, but if he sees a shot go down early, it kind of changes the trajectory of the game for him. Oh, it, it definitely does. And he, I uh, also think, was a beneficiary of something else that I saw that is not normal for the Mavs. 
um, Luca had the ball a ton. Obviously, he dominated the ball and did that stuff. But we also we had I believe five Mavs other than Luca have at least three assists. And yeah. Tim Hardaway, Maxi Cleva, Dorian Finney-Smith, Brunson, and Richardson. I'm pretty sure all of them had at least three assists. And Luke only had seven, so we had 18 non-Luca assists. And, like, we moved the ball. Luca dominated the ball and got the advantages. But once we got the advantages, I felt that we did a much better job of continuing to swing the ball to, the, to further the advantage as far as possible before taking the shot, which is why we took so many absolutely wide-open threes. And that's why I don't think it's as simple as the Clippers say of just like, well, we're going to hope they miss. I do think they adjusted somewhat. Um, I, I thought that they stayed a lot tighter to Dorian Finney-Smith. I thought they, they treated him they treated him as a shooter, which Dorian didn't have a good statistical game. I mean, he had three points, like then five rebounds or something, and he missed some shots. But for the most part, if they cover him, if if they make the choice that, you know what, we're not going to shade help to Luka because we've got to stay tight to Dorian Finney-Smith, that is the absolute biggest win possible for the Mavs, and that is all Dorian needs to do is that and then compete as hard as he can on defense. Yeah, yeah, and the the you know the geometry of the floor changes if they're hugging, if they're a step or two closer to Dorian. That has been – it's been the long kind of – I think back to, to my podcast with Jonathan Charks um, before the Clippers series last year. I mean, I guess, yeah, August, whenever the hell the playoffs were. Such a weird time. Um, and he essentially was making the argument of the Mavericks are going to go as far as Dorian will take them in the sense of if he's uncovered and he can't hit shots, the Mavs are probably going to lose. But if he's covered even just a little bit, you know, that that's different steps for Luca, different angles. And it's it's really fascinating to see it. it that we The first real glimpse we got of this, um, at least this season, was the Utah game where KP was out and the Mavericks just blew the doors off them because um, Dorian was hitting those open shots. And I'm really it, – it's his value is just so evident in, in, in what, you know, even a few open shots can do to a team's game plan. Um, it's it's it, this is this, this has been a lot more fun of a series than I think it, it to me it was kind of obvious this, this is going to be fun like this but I didn't I don't know I'd wonder if I'd feel differently if it was like one one and the shooting and be different but you know what that doesn't matter that's where we are um, before we before we get on out of here is is there kind of anything else that you're thinking about heading into game three I know for example. I'm really excited to see Luca in his first home playoff game ever. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what the sort of, you know, he's such a showman and performing for a crowd. Like it just seems like something that would energize him if he's feeling tired at all. Cause he looked pretty gassed at points in that game. Uh, he did. I do think that the two days rest is helping us a lot specifically mm-hmm. for him and for Maxi um, with, with Luca. I am both excited for that and mildly terrified. <laughs> because I'm a little worried that he is going to go into the game trying too hard to put too on the show. Sure. And that, and that, because there are times when he has really simple plays that he could make, and he has, like you said, a lot of showman in him. And he's not. there are absolutely fantastic players in history that have done that. Larry Bird, who he is often compared to, like he had games where he shot left-handed just to put on a show. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the thing. But I'm a little worried that we will go into this game and Luca will be like, we have some breathing room. We do not handle prosperity well as a team in general. And this is going to sound utterly insane, but I am a little concerned that the Mavs will now see the Clippers as a team they can play down to. 
because um, we have had an issue all season of playing down sure. to our competition. And I think that we know that we are – like, whether or not it's correct, I believe that the team thinks slash knows that they are better than the Clippers now. And with that could come the foot coming off of the gas. And it will be interesting to me to see how hard we come out playing because if we come out playing hard and we put and we have the the throttle to the floor, I, I think the Clippers will wilt and quit. And it, so that is the thing to me is to see, do we come out firing and gunning? Or are we still, as I said earlier, are we ruthless? Are we trying to dominate them quickly and basically kill their will? Or are we, uh, you know, we'll let them back up. We'll try to put on a show. Even if we lose, you know, we're up 2-1. It's, it's better than we ever could have hoped for. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Tim Hardaway said something in the post game, and I can't remember if this was last night or the, the game one thing, but he talked about not doing just what you're talking about, i.e. respecting the opponent. And I think there's something to the fact that there's a finish line in existence now and they're like playing for something instead of in like the monotony of four games a week for, you know, you know, however many weeks. And so I, I just you're right that they've given us enough tape to be for that to be a concern. Um, but if to me, it's like they took the Clippers, one of the Clippers best shots last night. And I just we were talking in our slack throughout the game and we all of us just kept waiting for something to go wrong. And, you know, Dorian committed like like got blocked at the rim on a three on one. Josh Richardson committed an offensive foul when he should have pulled up. Uh, Terrence Mann was really all over the place. And, and man, I'd like to see that guy in a Mavs uniform just for how his energy was. Uh, but there was enough like there were enough moments that the Mavericks had to wilt. And they didn't. And it, it just, this feels like a real leveling up situation where it, the whole team is kind of figuring out, okay. Cause I mean, the, you know, if you saw some stuff out of KP, I got to admit by the end of the game, I was just so tired. But if you saw some of that, that stuff from KP, he's kind of the, the emotional X factor to where if he's on the same page as everybody else, then I'm, I'm other teams should be alarmed. Uh, because the rest of this team seems to really get, you know, kind of really get along with one another and have fun. So, so that's really interesting. I, I do think the energy is going to be off the charts, though. And so, I, Carlisle watches that sort of stuff pretty carefully because you remember when he pulled Luca out of Game One with that third, like with that that foul. Yes, I do, and it's and it was it it was an important thing, and it was that's honestly one of the few times that he's kind of pulled the reins on Luca a little bit, because generally speaking, he's made a big point about pointing out that he gave Luca the reins to the offense and everything, the keys to the car, so to speak. And that was one of the few times where I felt like he kind of, if you, if you think of it as like a student driver, he kind of tapped the brakes <laughs> on the right-hand side and was like, Hey, uh, just come over here and talk to me for a second. And yeah. then Luca came back in and Luca, man, and I, it's, it's stating the obvious and, belaboring the point but man has luca been good it's just that guy is it's just stunning how good that guy is yeah i was i tweeted out his eight game numbers and it's pretty the funny part was his eight all eight of his playoff games have been against the clippers so it it doesn't it's kind of a strange sample but in eight playoff games against the clippers he has been averaging where did it go 32 points, nine and a half rebounds, 8.8 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.8 blocks while shooting 50% from the field and 41% from three. Also a hilarious 61% from free throw line. Like, and have we seen that? Like, 
I don't know. I, I I'm having a hard time determining if we've seen like the Luca game of the of the series yet. Maybe we have. It's it's hard to say. So I don't. That that's the thing is I for that to be the case. I I don't know that he can go just a ton higher. I mean, he could not miss some of the crazy threes he takes. I guess. Yeah. And or he could free throws. Hopefully make a, <laughs> he can make some free throws, and he could certainly get to the line more. Um, but even still, I don't think that we're going to have a quote unquote. Luca game because for there to be a Luca game, there's got to be a big separation between that game and the other games. And I don't think he's going to have a game that's down enough for, for there to be a higher level for it to separate from the other. Sure. Like, sure. Like the rest of the team be, being so bad that they would need him to go put up like 54. Yeah. So I just, it's, it's, it really is just stunning how good he has become and how well the team is playing. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do because the thing for the Mavs that I think we all forgot, this is back to the starting lineup that we had last year that was the best offense in the history of basketball. And this is really the first time we've had it for an extended period of time. And so yeah. that's that was at one point someone made the, the argument that it might not be truly the best offense but that it was the most well-spaced floor of any offense in history. And we're back to it, and it's pretty much working out that way. I'm having a great time. Well, thank you for joining me tonight on such short notice. Thank you for having me, and let's go Mavs. That's right. This has been Kirk Henderson and Matt Phillips of Mavs Moneyball, and we will talk to you guys. You know, you hear Matt on the locker rooms. Maybe join me on some podcasts. You see his writing for our site. He's he's been done. A, he's done a couple of the stats posts, but then he did a really cool one about playing uh, Zubats off the floor, which was very prescient and was important before game uh, before game two. Uh, you know, we will be doing another post game podcast Friday night and probably a locker room. So, you know, keep telling your friends to like, and subscribe. We are having an outstanding month and it's because of great listeners like you, and we will see you out there. You guys have a good rest of your Friday.